Hello everyone, my name is Brian Adams. My Dharma name is Wan Seong Gyo. I've been attending services at the Wan Buddhist Temple of Philadelphia for over four years now. And before that, I spent a lot of years studying Buddhism on my own. Um, that study I did on my own created some obstacles to my practice that I wasn't aware of. Um, so I think I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those obstacles and what I'm learning as I'm building a practice to overcome them. Fortunately, there is a passage in the scripture book that describes exactly where I was when I uh, joined one Buddhist temple. And it is in uh, chapter 3, practice, it's verse 45, and it reads, The founding master said, some people who have left the household life in order to seek the way forget their original intent midway and occupy their minds with seeking the external learning and external knowledge. Such people may gain great erudition, but their spiritual energy will instead weaken and they will find it difficult to attain true wisdom. Those who seek the true way must reflect upon the original intent of their aspiration take hold of their minds that are scattered in all directions and devote themselves to accumulating the three great powers. So I was first introduced to Buddhism about 20 years ago by picking up a book in a bookstore. The book was called uh, The Idiot's Guide to Buddhism. Uh, I didn't have any particular interest in Buddhism at the time, but I, I liked the idea of an idiot's guide to a religion, so I thought I would look at it and see what it was. And as, as I scanned through the pages, um, there were a lot of things in there that just rang true to me, things that I kind of halfway knew already, but didn't realize they were Buddhism. The emptiness of all things, the nature of all things to change, uh, everything is of mind. So I immediately was struck, uh, I'm a Buddhist. I think I should study Buddhism. So that's what I did for many, many years. I read books about Buddhism. I would find an author and read everything they had to say. I'd find another one and read everything they had to say. Um, everybody talked about meditation. And so I would try to meditate, but it, I didn't do well. I didn't, I couldn't stick with it. I kind of didn't see myself as a meditator. And I liked the reading. I wanted to learn. So I would emphasize the reading. Um, a lot of those years I was in Los Angeles, and there are a ton of Buddhist temples in Los Angeles of all kinds. And I made the rounds, uh, find one that was interesting, join it for a while, uh, learn what they were all about, and then kind of felt like I knew what it was or got bored and sort of drift away. So um, that's how I was spending my time. I was, I thought I had a practice, but I didn't really have a practice. I was consuming Buddhism. I was studying Buddhism. Um, and if I go back to the passage, the founding master says, occupy their minds with seeking external learning and external knowledge. And I think that was the key that I was missing. I was spending my time looking outwardly. Uh, and I look back and I know that what I was doing was I was looking for that magical teacher or that magical piece of scripture or that magical temple that was going to endow enlightenment upon me. Um, 
So I kept looking and looking and looking, looking for that silver bullet that never quite came. So that's where I was when I joined my first service at the Philadelphia Temple. <clears throat> and very quickly, I realized that I did not have a practice and I didn't know what it meant to practice the way. Uh, and the core was, as it says, the threefold practice. So I went down the list and I said, inquiry I got. I know I came in with inquiry. Um, it wasn't true inquiry. More on that to come. Choice and action. You know, I'm a good guy. I, I want to do the right thing. So I think I'm okay there. And then you hit the big one, cultivation. And I knew I had no cultivation at all. And what's worse is I didn't really want cultivation. It was meditation. You know, I said, I'm not a meditation guy. It was chanting. I'm not a chanting guy. And prayer. I'm really not a prayer guy. So there I sit. I really picking and choosing what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And what I need to do are exactly the things I don't want to do. So this would be the time normally where I would have become disenchanted and decided to just quit, just move on. Um, but I got really lucky this time because I just had a chance conversation after a server service with one of the ministers. And we were just talking, and the minister said to me that her mother wrote the Ilwan Song vow every night for five years. Well, at the time, I was just um, self-absorbed enough to uh, take it this way. This minister is telling me that I need to write the Ilwan Song vow every night for five years. I mean, I, I think that was her intent. She was just being polite, but uh, I thought this was... Uh, she was looking into the core of my practice and telling me what I had to do. So, uh, that night, after dinner, I pushed my plate aside. I put a notebook in front of me. And for the first time ever, I wrote out the Ilwan Song vow in longhand. And surprises of surprises, the next night I did it again. Then I did it again. And the next night. And the next night. And the next night. And for some reason, I think because I was borrowing the faith of the minister, I continued to do it. It became important to me to do it. I trusted. I had belief. It wasn't my belief. It was belief in the minister. But that's what I did. And that was the start of my practice. Just the commitment to do that. At first, all I was doing was trying to memorize the Ilwan Val. I didn't know it at the time. So I would read, Ilwan is the realm of Samadhi. And write, Ilwan is the realm of Samadhi. Beyond all words and speech. Beyond all words and speech. So that went for a few weeks until I got it memorized. So then I could write it out of my head. And it became more about writing it out of my head and getting through it. Um, eventually, my friend study kicked in again. And I was reading these words as I was writing them. And my um, conceptual mind, my, uh, my analytical mind began going through the concepts. It was, now, how can something manifest as both permanence and impermanence? Uh, what does it mean to gateway of birth and death? So I was really cogitating on those things a lot as I was writing. 
and there was nothing wrong with that. It was very valuable to me at the time because I was beginning to internalize some of the truth of the vow and some of the basic tenets of uh, Iwan. Um, then something changed. It happened very gradually. And this is where this practice really turned into something. I guess what happened was, after reading through this Ilwan Song vow hundreds of times over months, my mind, my intellectual mind went over the same ground over and over and over again and just, it just couldn't do it anymore. It got bored and it just would go away for a little period of time. Just every once in a while it would, it would just evaporate and I would have these brief moments of that stillness. That stillness that I'd read about when it comes to uh, meditation. Uh, and I would sometimes just sit for a moment in that stillness. And then it would pass and I'd pick up writing again and go on. Over time, those moments of stillness became more frequent and longer. And you began to leave room for something else. There was something about the process of bringing the words out, moving them through my hand on the onto the page, and then seeing them on the page, and bringing them back into my mind, that circle that was created, spinning this way, somehow brought the underlying truths of the vow deeper, bypassing everything intellectual, and just let them go deeper into my, into my consciousness. Uh, while that was happening, my experiences of the day, which were also spinning around, you know, as you're, as you're percolating over what happened during the day, they were going this way. So the vows going this way, and every once in a while, things would bump off each other. And I'd have these little moments of illumination. And that's when the magic started to happen. That's when the practice really began to kick in. One of the first ones that I remember was, as I was writing, I realized, I'm doing this thing that's important to me because of this miniature's mother. This is a woman who I have never met and I will never ever meet. If she's still alive, she's thousands of miles away. Yet I'm now intimately connected to her because my practice is a result of her practice. That was my first non-intellectual experience of the true connection that happens, that connection that goes beyond what we think of as being with someone or not with someone, being and non-being. And in that moment, oh, it was just kind of, oh, and then it was past. But then later, I had a moment where, oh, her merit, I, I have the benefit of her merit because of her practice, I've benefited from her merit. Ooh, and it I'm building merit in what I'm doing. The merit that I'm doing benefits her. Cause and effect. And not just cause and effect, but cause and effect that moves both directions in time and space. Huh. And then the grace of parents, gratitude for parents, grace of fellow beings, gratitude for fellow beings. These things would sort of come as one dice domino would fall, the next one would fall. And then it it was a whole different way to experience the truths that I've been reading about all those years. I was beginning to find them inside. 
not outside. I was, I stopped borrowing the wisdom of others. I stopped borrowing the faith of others. And I was creating my own. And that felt really good. And it was all because I, I think it was all because I chose to do something over and over and over again and give it time to develop and give my, my intellectual mind, my obstacles, time to melt away to expose some real powers. So I'm very grateful for that woman so far away and, and the minister for sharing that story with me because I have a practice because of those circumstances. And what's more, I, I'm able to build on that practice. It didn't stop with writing the vow. Um, for all the pain and the suffering that the pandemic has caused, it's been a blessing for many reasons, one of which is we've become, I went into a retreat in my house. The One Institute, for example, they set up a uh, nightly chanting practice on Zoom. And for whatever reason, I have nothing better to do, I joined it. And as I began chanting with them every night over and over and over again, the same process that I had with Iwasan Vow began happening with chanting. And I have gone from being, I'm not a chanting guy, to, you know, I'm a chanting guy. I even spontaneously chant every once in a while when I'm under a little stress or just sort of relaxing. I realize, oh, I've been chanting Namu Amitabha. And at the end of every chanting session, they pray. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm starting to become a praying kind of guy. So, if anybody wants to deepen their practice, they might consider choosing something to do. Probably something they don't want to do, because that's what worked for me. But just choose something to do. Do it over and over again. Put in the work. See where it takes you. You know, there's nothing to lose, and there may be a great deal to gain. That's all I have. Thank you. <laughs>